At a time when many of life's little luxuries have been taken away, or at least put on hold, our sponsor Ole is here to ensure we can all still indulge in some of the finer things in life. I am in love with their retinol collection. I have tried all the creams, lads. And I mean all of them. And this makes my skin feel incredible. Really glowy, really strong, really bright, which in winter is a tricksy old thing. With Ole, I can face anything. Seriously, anything. And there's a lot going on. Let's be honest. My husband's old fleece. Having room in my recycling bin of a Tuesday. Oh, and a proper ugly cry. There are a million things I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? I'm very grateful to have met grief at such a young age. I have seen grief come into the lives of my friends at 30, 40 and finish them. Welcome to Thanks A Million. I'm Angela Scanlon and this is the show that takes a sneaky look at my guest's gratitude list to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Today's Fabulous guest is Candice Brathwaite. You might know her as the author or as a mummy blogger, as they're called. She's also the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, a platform that celebrates authentic experiences of motherhood. Her debut book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, about being a black British mother, the first book by a black British woman on motherhood. The mind boggles. It was published in May 2020 by Quirkus and made the Sunday Times bestseller list. Before we pop into the app, I'm going to share a couple of your thanks a million trios, which you've still been sharing with me on Instagram, and I absolutely love them. Lucia, that my little five-year-old girl says, I love you, mummy, every time. It's just the two of us holding hands. I'm sorry, a little clammy hand is the cutest. That my seven-year-old is happy all day long, skipping through life, and more importantly, that I got the house to myself today and watched the real housewives of Orange County. (laughs) You got your priorities straight, woman. Into a little daytime binge. Oh, Kath Moore, grateful for taking my four-year-old to the skate park. He had so much fun, just calls out, love you, nanny. What a cool nanny taking the kid to the skate park. Susie Jersey, grateful for my beautiful four-month-old girl, whose little giggle is everything. Grateful for FaceTime so I can see the fam in Ireland who so desperately miss us and us them. And grateful for my comfy bed and the quiet time to lie here and scroll. Oh, bit of sneaky scrolling. Minnie Kay, I'm grateful for having lazy pyjamas day with my two sons, enjoying my large glass of wine and a nice takeaway pizza. Maria Costello is grateful for paddle boarding, finding my pencils and sketching again and walking through tunnels. Who knew, she says, but also, who knew? Please do keep sharing those. At... Angela Scanlon on Instagram or Twitter and the hashtag is thanks a million trio. I do love hearing. We touch on her releasing her book during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement and the death of George Floyd and how after reading Rhonda Burns, The Secret, she started writing herself checks, which it's fair to say she's been cashing ever since. Here is my insightful chat with the gorgeous Candice. I have to say, your Instagram is just, it's just joy. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the captions punchy at times, which I'm into as well. But like, actually, from a scrolling perspective, it is just so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of pastel, uh, you know, Scandi, white, thing going on at the moment where everything your couch your bed covers your clothes everything is white and actually I just love it feels so rebellious to be like rainbow drenched (laughs) yeah that is my life that is my house apart well actually no most of the walls are white but all of the accents are really bright um yeah I just want people to come to that page and obviously learn but also have a bit of fun Mm. it's not this is going to sound so funny, borderline oxymoronic, but it's not that serious. 
and I'm not in any way locked in into this idea that this app because that's all it is is going to be around forever so I'm just like let's just have a bit of fun and see where this goes okay so this uh, that's funny isn't it because I think you know uh, like you came to prominence I mean in the mainstream and in the big time because of your book but that was picked up maybe because you had a following on Instagram as a mumfluencer no that's definitely the wrong word is it (laughs) is that even a word do you know what I have such a hard I have such a hard time with it all so what's so crazy is uh, your face said it all yeah I'm just like like, I vomited a tiny bit in my mouth it's just Yeah, so I always wanted to write books. And before I was using Instagram to help supplement my income, I was working in the marketing department at a massive publishing house, spending my whole day on the phone to what was then called bloggers. How much are you going to charge to talk about this book? We need someone to promote this book. When they told me what they were charging, I was like, right, sis, you're in the wrong job. What do you need to do to cross the pond? Like, it was, it was, it was, it was, a. am not one of these people who are like, oh yeah, I'm just so lucky. I, complete plan, complete ruse. Mm-hmm. I was like, I need to cross this pond because these women are making the kind of money that I think will change, not just my life, but like, I genuinely believe I'm going to be like that great, great granny with like a park in her name or like a, a, a park bench in her name. And like my great, great grandkids are going to be like, that's the woman who made this possible. So there was that. And then you come into this space, which was exclusively white, exclusively middle class, two grand push chairs, 500 pound haircuts. I'm a black girl, borderline always living on benefits. But I'm like, I think I have a story to tell. And I think that I know that being a mum and coming online and not seeing myself is really depressing. So I'm going to stick my head above you know above the whatever um and now we're here but saying that I got an idea for a book or a book I got rejected six times Mm -hmm. specifically because my platform wasn't big enough so they liked the book they liked your words they liked you but you're not going to peddle enough books because you don't have this amount of Instagram followers simple absolutely simple and the book that now most people know me for um it was a it was it was a complete bluff because it's not the book I wanted to write I was like anti-motherhood I was like have you not read these motherhood books they're all a bit shit Mm. and they're all very like I'll read it this week and we'll all talk about it because it's all over the internet but I ain't keeping that on my shelf for two years it's going to be no use to me and I'm not going to pass it on so I really wanted to be taken serious as a writer and I was like to do that I can't do this And then after like five rejections, my manager was like, everyone wants to hear about black motherhood. I was like, black motherhood, what what is there to talk about? So I wrote the most scathing proposal in 40 minutes and was like, F off, never speak to me again. I'm tired of everyone's games, whatever. And in two weeks we had a book deal. So So you did like an angry, this is a this is absolute bullshit stick your book deal up your arse I'm not interested and they were like how much pet (laughs) literally literally I was like I don't care anymore I don't want to talk about it then I signed with Quirkus who have been brilliant and not diluted my voice in any way because I called their bluff right up to the end I was like okay you want a book about black motherhood then this is the title and even though I could see people flinch they were like okay we're gonna let you have it We trust you because prior to I'm Not Your Baby Mother, can you believe in the UK there has never been a book about black British parenting? Do you know, I actually flinched when I heard that. I could not, I couldn't believe it. It's so, um, yeah, it's shocking actually. And it's still kind of like, really? But really, like, have you properly looked into that? It sounds so unfathomable. This is it. And so... Now the book's here and I'm just, I'm I'm a bit, um, I'm always in a bit of a daze, to be honest. I'm in a bit, because I wrote that with um, like listening to Kano's new album, feeling very sorry for myself. And why were you feeling sorry for yourself? Was this not, or or were you feeling still a little bit angry that you had um, talked yourself into a book deal that you didn't really want? What was the book that you wanted to write? 
the book I wanted to write was like about, funny enough, was like about black womanhood and all the things that black British girls go through. Like it was more a general overview of my life in Britain or... okay. And so to really zone in on motherhood, um, I had a really traumatic birth with my first kid, really traumatic. And so just writing this stuff down was like cathartic but depressing and I was like actually I hate it here like Mm. I hate the fact I've had to leave London because I'm choosing between my kid getting shanked to death or racism like some really hard topics and so the writing process was really difficult and then it goes out corona happens and I'm just like what will be will be and then it, it feels like in a very positive way shit hit the fan I mean, the perfect storm seems like the complete opposite in many ways of what it was. But obviously the Black Lives Matters and the the fact that everybody was, ne- there was no escaping this. This was not a niche. This was not your problem anymore. This is everybody's issue. And suddenly here's a book that we didn't know we needed. The timing of the situation gives me chills because mm. all my all my my um like promotions been cancelled. We're yeah. in lockdown. I'm like however well I thought the book was going to do well let's quarter that because I can't yeah. go out. I can't speak to people. I don't know. The book comes out on a Thursday. George Floyd's murder starts trending the next week and then all of a sudden like my book is in list with why I'm no longer talking to white people about race or natives by a color and I keep saying it's like watching your newborn go to uni you weren't mentally prepared you were like this is my baby book this is the one I'm doing so that I can do the books that I want to do it made me so nervous because I was like when I did that was not my intention what was your intention what was my intention? Just to tell the story of what I feel it's like to be a black British mother, to really remind people that um, our stories, just based on race, can be so different. Like the stats in the UK, five um, black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth. Yeah. Um, newborns in their first 28 days have a 151% increased risk of dying in those first 28 days. Like, these are stats that whilst people hear them, and I know they shock them, there was no meat on those bones. Yeah, OK, OK. So it's just a figure that nobody can really connect to. Yeah, yeah. And so that book gave all of these bones meat. And I was like... And a face. Yeah, yeah. But I was very prepared to just like write and walk away from that. And I'm not, a ho- I don't hold on to things. I'm not like one of these people that, oh, you know, this is my thing. And I, oh, writing that book felt like, um, uh, like I was just uh, a tool, a mouthpiece. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't feel, even though I see my name on that cover, that book could have been written by Sade or Lisa or anyone I went to school with. One of the things that really struck me was the idea of you as, as you put it, a relatively young black woman having a baby in hospital. You were asking for, I don't know whether it was pain relief or you were just vocalising that you were in pain. And she said, I'll deal with you later. And she turned to a white woman you you explain it. We'll explain yeah, it much yeah, better than I will. Yeah, she turns to a white woman who's also in labour, but is very um, mothering, is very caring. It's like, oh, well, you're right. Okay, we're going to get you some more pain medication, like rubbing her back really gently. What I didn't put in the book, because um, some things, I like grey areas sometimes, but what was really interesting about that is that midwife was actually mixed race. And what happens in situations like that, I feel, is white supremacy has done a really great thing where it makes black people or anyone who is the other fight against themselves. And when we get in positions or spaces where we see each other, automatically we're thinking the worst thing. We're thinking about trying to appear better than the other person. Mm. And in that moment, even though I consider her to be black and she can see I'm black, it's like, mm, actually, you as a patient are viewed as problematic. So you can wait. I'm going to okay. uphold this white woman. I'm going to uphold white supremacy. I'm going to, in some ways, I'm going to like continue to serve the master. 
Okay. I'm very used to that attitude. It's annoying, but I'm used to it. But it was really um, hard to deal with in that moment. Like you said, you're at your most vulnerable. Yeah. And this wasn't just her. This was, this was the dozens of midwives I saw whilst I was pregnant and during um, birth. Things only got better when I came back half dead. And of course, everything's going to get better because no one wants to lose their job. No one wants to get sued. All of a sudden, everyone's on their P's and Q's and really nice. But they ignored your, they ignored your pleas. Why? Because you you said that they kind of believed that as a black woman, you have a higher pain threshold. Yeah. Or that you're stronger. Yeah, there's actual papers about that. There's been a lot of research about it in the US. Um, but they like did studies on actual doctors and the data came back and doctors were like, I genuinely believe black women can bear more pain. Like wow. that is a fact. MDs believe that. They go to work believing that. And so you get to that point where you are in a lot of pain, but it's just like, well, look at the history of your women. Look at the, the lineage you come from. You guys have, you've put up with a lot. You can bear it. It's a bit of childbirth. And it doesn't help that say like that the older women in my family will support that i'm not going to sit mm. here and lie to you they too have been indoctrinated into believing that oh we got this you know don't cry over that only now i would say millennials definitely gen z are like fuck that shit yeah. i you know i'm in pain we need to think about the way we're dealing with black women yeah but in that moment it was crazy crazy and so you said the only time you were really taken seriously or you felt heard was when you came back yeah half dead as as you put it and I think what was so interesting about that I (laughs) I wasn't heard I was smelt so I got sepsis uh which is blood poisoning after an infection my entire c-section wound was infected and the infected pus was now leaking out of my body and I, I stunk so bad. Like, when I, when I got rushed into A&E first, like, the nurses were heaving. Just so potent. And so to smell like literal death, now everyone's turned on. They're like, right, we have actual proof to support your claim of feeling unwell. Okay. I'm, I'm in a daze. My kid is four days old. I have not slept. I've certainly not eaten. Um, And I'm now having major panic attacks because my dad had the flu, which led to sepsis, and it killed him. So now I'm hearing all of these words. And as they're rushing me back to surgery, I literally just said a silent prayer to myself. And I was like, I can't even manage to fight this. I just hope they can look after my kid. It's interesting that you say, like, you had to literally smell like, you know, the Hulk. Um in order for them to believe that the pleas, the complaints, the concerns that you had be heard, which is, I mean, I I feel like sometimes we, and I don't know whether this is a female thing or whether it's a universal thing, but like we almost don't trust ourselves. We're like, am I okay? I, got, I don't want to be, I don't want to be seen to be like too dramatic or weak or too, or a princess or whatever. So I'm going to override my instinct that something's wrong until my leg falls off or until something's actually seriously wrong. But for you, you knew, you knew something was wrong and they were like, it's fine. It's standard. You know, take your baby home and deal with it. Yeah, I knew from like the second night, I was sweating through to the mattress and like I'd wake up and you can pat the mattress and watch the water jump off. I'm like, yeah. And I just felt to get up every day after a C-section, it should get easier. And I know that Mm. now because I had my son after via C-section. Every day was getting worse. By that fourth day, I'm like clinging on to my daughter's cot to get up. I can no longer go. So I'm starting to feel worse every day, not better. I'm so confused, but it's like every midwife that came was like, you're just tired. Stay off the internet. Stay off those mummy forums. They're making you paranoid, you know. My C-section wound was swollen. Oh, don't worry. Post-surgery swelling, it will go down. Like every excuse in the book until that, night where I fall asleep with the baby on top of me and she wriggles down and she bursts that sack but if that sack didn't burst we definitely wouldn't be having that conversation 
What are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for my PA. I just got a PA. And I think I didn't get one because something felt really bougie to me. Or there, w- there was an element in me that was like, who do you think you are? A PA? Like, you're not Oprah. And it all came crashing down last week. And my other half looked at me like, dude, if you had a PA, you wouldn't be here now. So we hired someone we've been working on and off with for a while. And get, I'm so thankful for whatever she has because all there is something technical about knowing where to put something in a calendar, reminding people, making a schedule. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think, and you mentioned the law of attraction and that you believe in that. I have this... Um, theory I mean it's borrowed from somebody else um but this idea that in order for us to um to attract the things that we want we need to make space for those things so you know obviously you'll have the secret where like make space for a man to lie in the bed I don't mean in that sense I mean I think you've got to free yourself up of things that allow for you know creative space if that makes sense and so it feels like a real luxury to go I'm going to have a PA. It's like quite first world, isn't it? But actually what it does is, I think, sends a message to the universe that like, like I'm taking this seriously. I'm taking myself seriously. I am going to hold myself in a way that I give myself what I need. And that act of giving yourself the support that you need is a very powerful statement. Yeah, completely. And I have... I speak about it a lot um, without trying to be like borderline secrety, but I am a very committed believer of like the law of attraction and every thread of my life, every bit of my life that people see online right now came from literally nothing and not just nothing, but came from a nothing that could be because I just didn't have it. Right. Like I don't have connected friends. I didn't go to certain schools like one parent's dead the other hasn't like has below no cash she's always cashless and so anything you see it's literally because Candice has just sat down and been like yeah I fancy a bit of that and how do I go about making it clear that I want it I deserve it and it's welcome here and like I do that every single day um I I literally just change purses but I usually keep um, some yellow crystal. I forget the name of the crystal in my purse. Citrine, citrine. There we yeah. go. Very good for manifesting, <laughs> honey. Like, I'm really, I'm really about that. So it's like abundance. Yeah, abundance. Yeah. And at the top of the year, um, I write myself checks. Okay. Um, oh, wow. This is proper secret. Yeah. Okay. I write myself checks and I outline where they're going to be coming from, like what from what brand, the companies I want to work with. And then, yeah, so like I just do, even the house I'm in, before we bought it or we heard we'd bought it, I sent myself a like, um, welcome to your new home card. Hope you're happy living here to the house from my old house. And I was like, no one else is going to open that but me. I think there are holes in the secret, right? But, and you have addressed it in your three things, want, deserve and welcome, okay? Because a lot of people want the thing. They'll write the check. I want a million quid. I'm going to stick it above my bed. Um, and I'm like going to make room in my ba- empty bank account for it. You know, I'm going to welcome it in. The big part of that is the deserving thing. Yeah. You know, and it's that's all like a self, self-worth thing. And... Like that's the hard, that's the hardest bit. It's matching up the belief that you are worthy of these things. And I think without, without that bit, you can want every house, you can want the money, you can want the deal, you can want the job, anything. Yeah. And it's, it's never going to come, no matter how much you believe in the law of attraction. I think the, the deservingness. Yeah. Is, is the key to that. Yeah, and that, that bit is still a struggle for me. It comes up every week with my therapist. The reason why I try to be open with the fact I believe in it and how it's worked for me is because, like, from a social standpoint, from a worldview, when we're speaking about 
things or people who deserve things if you're just looking at me i'm not even on that list right the world doesn't even see black women i say this all the time we have a pyramid and at the base of the pyramid is black men at the top is white men everyone else falls in between that the the thing keeping the pyramid up is black women you do not see them they are entrenched Mm -hmm. in the soil so it's really hard to wake up every day and be like, I deserve this when I never see myself in anything. I struggle to see myself on certain TV shows. I struggle to see myself on the cover of magazines or in beauty campaigns. And to have to wake up every day and be like, right, they don't see it, but I see it for myself. Yeah. I commit to myself. So I'm really vocal with it because sometimes I have a girl who physically looks like the girl who can have it all come to me and be like, I'm in tatters. And I don't think I'm deserving. And I'm like, listen, girl, <laughs> you, you are really speaking to someone who the world is constantly saying is not deserving, is not who deserving. found a way to make it away. So we are going to really sit down and have some coffee and figure out what's going on here. Because if yeah. I've been able to reprogram my mind, you know, you've got a few more, you've got a few more pointers, you've got a few more head starts. So mm-hmm. it is, yeah, it's hard though. Like I said, I'm, my therapist every week she's like I feel like you feel like you're not deserving and I'm like oh you're like no shit <laughs> fix it <laughs> so I'm fucking paying you for I'm joking <laughs> like shut up <laughs> um, uh, and so you said about, about reprogramming so what does that look like for you then oh god reprogramming for me is okay this is using a literal example I'll go on my Instagram explore page Mm. And every image on there won't look like me. Okay. Okay. So I scroll, scroll, scroll. The first image I see of a black woman, double tap, double tap. I'm literally reprogramming the algorithm. Oh, wow. You will show me myself. You will show me my beauty. You will show me reflections of myself. That's the way I do it in my phone. And that's the way I do it in my head and my life. This Mm -hmm. isn't to say that I don't indulge in... um, in all types of media but everything I've ever written or watched has always not been programmed with me as the main character so why do I now have to think about the fact that I'm trying to flick that switch Mm -hmm. even I'm in the process of writing my next book and I said to my publisher like I don't want the word black on the front or the back I know I'm a black woman if you've engaged with my work before you know I'm a black woman me being black should not stop a woman of any other race engaging with my work. Yeah. The same way I've had to sit through The Secret Garden, Alice in Wonderland, someone's going to sit through my shit and like it. And do do you think that um, having the word black on the back or the front would stop somebody from engaging with your work? Completely, completely. I think what happened with I Am Not Your Baby Mother is that the timing was just, I hate to use the word perfect because we are talking about a man's murder, but Black Lives Matter is this thing now that everyone at the very least wants to seem to be engaging with. So you're on the lists of things to read now. Now, you're hot right now. I think if if Black Lives Matter, if racial justice is not at the forefront of your mind... um, you are going to look at a book or any piece of material where you're not on the cover and be like, oh, that can't possibly be for me because mm. I am I am Katie. I am uh, a blonde girl called Hannah. What could possibly be in there for me? So here's the thing. If we're really going to get serious about doing this whole equality thing, we need to get serious about reading each other's stories without mm. that being like a panel in the way. And we also don't need to make a song and dance about it. Because even though I wasn't the main character in Alice in Wonderland or all of these stories, there were all these intersections I understood, right? And there are all these intersections of womanhood that are separate from race. Just read it. Just Mm -hmm. look at this. Just go to this person's page and find what gives you common ground. And I think, you know, intersections of humanhood which is not a word but it should be that you know are not dependent on you being male or female you know there's universal themes yeah but mad that you have to think that you need to take that word out in order to appeal 
Yeah. It is appeal because aside from, say, Oprah and Michelle Obama, I think most black women, even Beyonce, she's now doing it in the opposite direction, but she's doing it so far in the opposite direction now that it's become clear that for a long portion of her career, she was simply appealing. Now she's really ramping up that I am black, I am African, this shit can't happen. She's really driving that. And that's really highlighted how, say, for the first 10 years of knowing Beyonce's name that was ambiguous almost it's like Mm -hmm. no i'm just this light-skinned kind of black pop star you don't need to know all that stuff you know yeah so she very much diluted that that bit yeah and Mm. i love beyonce but it's also like this is a business and i understand it but there's also a reason why um even her own dad said it he said like beyonce wouldn't be beyonce if she was dark-skinned and you talk about that and the, the kind of hierarchy and the, you know, European beauty, like those trends that infiltrate and you kind of make a point not to engage with that. Yeah, I'm like, and it's not even that I make a point not to. I worked out, say, 10 years ago, I just can't do it. I've tried wigs and I think they're really fun and super cute, but I get really hot and really annoyed. And I'm always paranoid that, like, bus doors are going to close and my wig comes flying off, so I can't do that. I'm, I really have no interest in bleaching my skin. I kind mm-hmm. of toy with the idea of plastic surgery, but only on my tummy. I can't be bothered to mess with my face. So I'm just like, I can't be bothered to do that for anyone so that also means though that there are there are certain um there are certain ways I have to acknowledge that I could perhaps be capped or there is a certain way that I'm always going to be looked at like I'm no one's ever going to be like oh Candice is like the prettiest sexiest girl in the world but they could be like she's on her Oprah shit she's a really good businesswoman so there are I have learned quickly the ways in which I can uplift myself yeah, trying to fit a mould that w- that was never made. I used to think as a redhead that I had a fight to fight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, when boys say that they like blondes, well, you know, the choice is always, do you like blondes or brunettes? They never include redheads. I'm like, okay, pet, dry your eyes, seriously. <laughs> but like, actually, it had quite an impact on me as well. Because I was like, am I fucking invisible here? Hello. And... That doesn't mean that your feelings are not valid or you didn't feel that thing. It's just that for so many other women, the the layers, to some degree, they can't be changed. Who was this book written for? I'm like slightly going off topic, but in a nutshell, did you have a person that, because I'm thinking of like a, a, a teenage girl, I feel like, you know, and you've said you're dedicated to revealing the truth. And there's a sense that there is, you know, this is a book that you wrote maybe for yourself almost. The primary target in my mind was like 15 going on 16. I remember going to school and the hot shit book of the time was a book called The Coldest Winter Ever mm-hmm. by a woman called Sister Soldier. And like, it got banned because I went to a Christian school and it was, oh, I reread it the other day and I was like, oh, what were you doing? Like, so salacious, so adult. But um, the protagonist in the book, any girl living in South London found some way to connect with with the main character. Very, very popular. And I was like, that is what I want. I'm not your baby mother to be. I want the book to get passed around. I want people to like be whispering about it. We all used to have these see-through art folders and you would prop the book up to seem really cool as you're walking down Brixton High Road. I wanted that prop up in the art folder moment. I was like, I need young black girls specifically to pick this book up at this age. Mm-hmm. Just before shit gets fucked, just before men try and run game, just before the world tells you you ain't shit, I need you to get hold of this. And so, yeah, it was all for them or for that version of me. E- everyone else that's like, oh, my gosh, I really love your book. I love that. But I'm also like, that's so funny because I didn't write with any of you guys in mind. Mm. No one. It's like it's for those kids in South London right now who don't know how many ways their lives can get messed up before they're 21. Um, The fact that we're all reading it, hopefully you guys can intercept if you meet one of those girls. But it was for them. What is your thank fuck for this? So the thing that you would be lost without... 
Uh, do you know what? I don't mean to be soppy, but my other half. Because um, I come from, like, a really weird, broken home. And I lost my dad when I was 20. And I'm not... I never try to give him props for the woman I am, but he has definitely, like, helped shine me up and helped me deal with, like, some anger. And I think the version of the world Candice Brathwaite sees is because he's behind me. If you guys saw me without him, like, I'd be in prison, I'd always be online <laughs> telling someone off. <laughs> <laughs> so how did he make you less angry? Because he has a really warm, loving family. And he comes from West Africa. He's Nigerian, where their principles around family and love are something I never experienced as a child. The fact that him and his siblings argue or disagree, and then the next day they're on the phone like, yeah, have you watched this movie? I'm like, y'all don't hold shit against each other. Like, what land is this? Like, what is this magical place? Like, and the way his parents have um, worked really hard to let me know that there is space for me as their child because I've been very... Um, I've refused that a lot. I've been like, no, I've been by myself for a really long time. I'm jiggy. It's fine. I'm used to having an orphan-type mentality. And mm. they're just like, no, we're here. And, like, if you're with him, you're with us. And so, yeah, for if I, we're doing a thank fuck for this... It's definitely him and that mm-hmm. structure he brings to my life. The thank you next, Candice. Is there a chapter of your life that's closed that you're very grateful is closed or that you're very grateful for, even though it was shit at the time, but it's kind of, you know, taught you something? Defo, my dad dying. He died when I was 20. He died really suddenly. Like I said, he had the flu. And he didn't realise how sick he was. And he was on his way to a football match. And he was like, oh, I don't feel well. Let me stop in at A&E. And he had cardiac arrest in A&E and was dead in 14 minutes. Like, brutal, quick, savage. And I was 20 and I was an au pair in Italy at the time. Was always the person that was like, you've got this, go and travel, go see the world. And I'd spoken to him on Wednesday and it was Friday. Um... And he wasn't answering my calls and I was getting all these really weird emails. Turns out it was his work colleagues who didn't have my number, who of course wanted to tell me but didn't want to do that via email. Over the next few hours, something just clicked and I knew he was dead. I just knew. I'd sent him an email in the morning and he'd not responded. He was so connected to his phone that he died with his phone in his hand. He... He, they had to take his blackberry off his dead body. So I knew, I was like, hmm. And like literally another version of me stood over me and was like, your dad is dead and in the next hour or so you need to get yourself together because there is no one else now and you know this. Like I've got other family but my dad was my person. And there was just that looming and then it got confirmed And I lost my shit and I had to come home and all of that. My host family, who I adored, had gone up to Rome to visit family and they drove back to Naples, quite a drive, and they were crying. Like, everyone was just crying. We spent the whole night crying. And they had to sort my flight out home because Dad was sorting my flight out in time for Mm -hmm. Christmas. And it was November. Um, And they sorted my flight out, um, crying, and then, of course, I didn't sleep. And my cab was coming at four in the morning, so I had to say goodbye to the kids before bed. And so I've come downstairs at four in the morning and the sky is is just, it's so black, it's it's almost violet. And there's all these stars in the sky. And I'm wearing this coat that my dad used to refer to as my Scottish widow coat. It was this <laughs> massive black coat from Zara that had this huge sweeping hood and you could not see my face. And I remember putting my hood up and lighting a cigarette and just silently sobbing and then the taxi came and my Italian was still a bit rubbish but he knew I felt bad you know Mm. and I get to the airport and I just sob on the whole plane ride and I don't know if they fixed it that way but the plane was absolutely rammed but there was no one seated next to me and the air hostesses were very loving but distant that is definitely thank you next it's thank you because 
Um, I'm very now, I'm very grateful to have met grief at such a young age. I have seen grief come into the lives of my friends at 30, 40 and finish them. There was something about it happening at 20 before I had a family and any responsibilities that makes sense to me. There was something about it that was quite transitional. It's like he left me at the door of womanhood. Like, you don't know it yet, kid, but I've given you all you need for these next 40, 50, 60 years. I gotta go, go. but you're good. And having the last 10 years to, like, work through that in a backward sense and to have him in a space now where I feel like he has nothing better to do but fix my life, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I, I don't, I'm in no hurry to feel that kind of pain again, but I'm very grateful it happened when it did. And so do you think that it kind of, you know, gave you the understanding of how, how, and maybe because it was a sudden shocking death, did it make you realise that there's like, you get one, one go, let's go. And it made me, um, it's, I'm still, I'm very rebellious. I'm, Everyone who knows me will tell you I am a jump out the boat type chick. I'm not checking if there's a life raft or I'm like, this is a sick idea. Let's go. <laughs> and was that always the case or was that born out of I am not wasting a second? That was born out of I'm not wasting a second. Okay. That was born out of finally seeing his body in the chapel of rest and it being him, but it not being him and me being like this baby who was just like, this is how it ends for you. How are you going out? Like, that's the way I always speak to myself. I'm like, okay, you're going to be ugly with staples in the back of your head and cotton wool propping your mouth up. But what is the life behind that carcass? What are you saying? It's made me super paranoid. It's made... If my other half don't answer the phone after the first call, I am in catastrophe mode. And I'm very aware of how that can happen again at any time. How old was your dad? 43. My daughter was born on the day he died, which I thought was really lovely. Thought that was a really lovely present from the gods or whomever. Because it allows me to not just get down on that day. And it also reminds me of literally, sorry to be Lion Kingish, but the literal circle of life. If my dad was still alive, I wouldn't have the career or life I have because I'd be obsessed with pleasing him. Do you really believe that? So he was your guy and as a result, you kind of... Yeah, it's like, I need to put on a show. I need to be good for dad. And when I'm done with travelling, then I'm going to focus on my studies and I'm going to become a solicitor and I'm going to make dad proud. Okay, the thanks that got away. You know, my my primary school teacher, Miss Coco, a very sturdy Ghanaian woman who saw something in me that perhaps is what many more people seeing me now, but she would do things like give me the lead in school plays and make me read aloud. And she would call my granddad if I was misbehaving. And even at such a young age, like at six, seven, I'm like, Miss Coco, why are you in my ass like this, man? Give me a break. Um, I was raised by my maternal granddad, so he would drop me off at school and pick me up. And they had a really great rapport and she was just like, I just see something in this kid and I want to help guide her there. Or I want her to look back on this time and know that someone, especially a black woman, believed in her first and foremost. And I've, 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 I've been on Facebook for hours trying to find this woman because she is very, very... Um, the centre of a lot of what I do, even if I don't know it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Miss Coco put that there first. OK, the big thank you. Uh, de- you know what? Definitely my granddad. Um, like I said, he raised me. So uh, I'm thanking him for more than just raising me, though. But he was my insight into what happens when you don't abide by gender norms. I was a kid and he perhaps had no idea about my sexual orientation and the kind of relationship I would end up in. Him being at home, doing my hair, cooking, made me see men and my interaction with men very differently to say a lot of my age mates who, for whatever reason, feel they need to be in service of men 
or have been incorrectly taught that they need to cook, clean, do all of that to keep a man. My first interaction of male energy was a man being a mother and looking after me with a maternal kind of vibe. And so that has allowed me to go out and not think there's anything wrong with being like, mate, I don't know where the Hoover bags are, couldn't change one, can't cook for shit. I am about trying to build an empire and I'm really just looking for a guy who is not um, emasculated by me. And that could not have happened without me thinking that my granddad raising me was a normal thing. Mm. And like me getting to year four or year five, nine, ten years old, and just being like, and so why are you putting tissue down your bra for this boy? Like, what? That, you know? And that's not yeah. to say that that meant I escaped wanting to please men or no 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 I still had my pitfalls Mm -hmm. but I think um my my overall journey was shorter and and more self-fulfilling because that first energy was like nah men cook men clean men put babies to bed it's so interesting though I remember and it's really resonated with me it was a few years ago when Sheryl Sandberg uh, brought out Lean In And so there was all of the talk about her as a very powerful um, woman in a male world, you know. And she said that the, the, you know, move towards equality, which almost feels outdated, even though it's not, but even the the conversation. So she she was saying, in order for us to do all of the things that we want to do, we need to allow men to do the jobs that were once associated or thought of as the women's jobs and the tricky thing for a lot of our age group is we want all of the things but we also usually have a role model where the or or have a family set up where the dad was the breadwinner and the mum was the caregiver and so there's a, a an innate thing in us where we want the freedom we want the support but we also want a guy who's earning more than us I don't want to stay at home dad like I don't want to stay at home husband I'm not sure I could respect that and so it's like actually unless we respect a man who has the strength to do that role which we all know is the friggin' hardest role ever. We we can't be lifted. Does that make sense? Completely. And then that yeah. makes sense even more because it's like, and this is why women who are stay-at-home mums struggle or feel like they're not supported because yeah. these things, these jobs, these duties are not valued. And so I went into all my adult relationships like, what do you mean you don't know how to mop? Like, because I, I can't help you here, you know, like, so um, yeah. huge. Again, baseline thanks is he raised me, so of course, but mm-hmm. it's the things he showed me and didn't say to me that have actually stuck around the longest. What is the gift that you're most grateful for? And like, this can be s- deliciously frivolous. The gift, do you know what? I give it to myself. I know it's very boring, but I will never stop championing championing it therapy it's not the cheapest and sometimes I turn up to a session and we've got 20 minutes to go and I feel like I've got nothing else to say but the fact is I'm just not where I feel comfortable to really say the things I'm here to say and so I'm working through that and that is that is me constantly showing up and that is me gifting myself an hour of someone else listening to me and not judging me mm-hmm. and yeah that and like I said if I don't like to be like oh go get therapy go get therapy because it's not cheap it yeah. isn't but it's something that I make a point of gifting myself every week and like it's in my budget like foods in my budget yeah. because I've I have a lot of baggage and I have a lot of pain And if I want to show up in the working world and be sensitive and empathetic, but not fall to pieces, someone else needs to see that. And yeah, it is. It's interesting because I do think sometimes it's like, oh, come on. It's like it's quite a privileged position, as you say. It's an expensive thing to do, but I I do think it's becoming more accessible. It's becoming more acceptable, you know, like. Uh, maybe we all thought, oh, my God, having a shrink was so American, like so ridiculous 
ridiculous. What would we be talking to them about? But actually, yeah, it is a, a great gift. Finally, the hashtag blessed moment. Prayer hands emoji, sass hand. The entire life I'm living, as corny as that sounds, I was saying it to my other half today, I don't even know how we got in the conversation, though, last night, where I was like, what's so interesting about the life I live is, on paper, none of it makes sense, because on paper, none of it's available to me. Not a woman like me, not a girl like me, not my socioeconomic background, not my postcode. A life like this does not happen to a woman like me. That is not the norm. And so, like, I wake up in uh, literally surrounded by green pastures and my kid goes to a really great school and I love my house. And this is not to say that I am free of trauma or, or strife, but I really enjoy waking up every day. And also, I am the first woman on both sides of my family to do a job that I love, that I made. I'm not working for someone else. And that's not to say that that is a bad thing, but most of the women who came before me didn't want to do that. Mm. They wanted to run their own business. They wanted to be self-employed, but there was just no way for them to get that done. The fact that I wake up every day and I answer to myself, I honestly sometimes just look around and I'm like, it's like I'm looking at ghosts and I'm like, I can't believe it either. It's fine. It's fine. What an amazing like testament to what you've done and built. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much. This is wicked. Thank you. I loved that chat. As Oprah would say, there were like loads of aha moments for me. As mentioned, Candice is the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse. You can find her on Instagram at Make Motherhood Diverse or MakeMotherhoodDiverse.com. Her book, I'm Not Your Baby Mother, is available at all good bookshops. Try to buy from Independence as well. It's quite nice at this time of the year. We are releasing new episodes every week and you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And if you're loving the show, please do write us a review. A good one, obviously. We don't want any of your one-star reviews around these parts. Tell your friends as well, and your family, anyone basically who you think might, mm, might benefit or feel a little bit of inspiration or just a little bit of relief. Finally, thank you to the production team at Rethink Audio for looking after me and to you, the listeners. Thanks a million. Side note, I have launched a newsletter because, you know, what else have I to be doing? You can go find it via my Instagram and I share things that I've been listening to and reading and watching, uh, some little recipes in there, loads of random shit really, but I think you're going to like it.